Welcome to bonus part 148. You have entered Novak Djokovic's training compound. He's nowhere to be seen. But suddenly, a small hunched figure emerges from the shadows of the entrance tunnel bit. As you stand next to the net, he calls to you, Podbad, come, come. He waves you over. He says, follow me. He walks down the corridor. He says, I'm Igor, by the way. Nice to meet you. He, re- he walks over to a lever that's sticking out of the wall, but it looks like a torch, like an oldie burning torch. He looks around to see if anyone's watching, and he pulls down on the torch. It turns out it's a lever, and uh, the wall recesses and slides open, and he says, go in. You walk inside. It's a, a dripping, cavernous, like brick, so dungeony kind of space, and Novak Djokovic isn't there. But who is there in their tennis whites and those bands over their heads like um, like they used to wear in the 60s? Bouncing a tennis ball between them. It's Phil and Pierre. Welcome. Welcome. To Bonus Pod. Welcome, welcome. Bonus Pod, the tennis game where it's always love, love. We, it's the tennis podcast where we love to serve you. Oh, very good. Here mm-hmm. on the net. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on the worldwide <laughs> net. That's true. Yeah. Which, of course, is how Novak Djokovic came across all that information, misinformation in the first place, is that he thought the one thing he could trust was the net. It's funny to imagine an athlete on, the, on a computer. <laughs> imagine an athlete just looking something up on a computer. It's funny. They shouldn't yeah. be doing it. Why are they there? They shouldn't be there. It is odd to imagine David Beckham putting on his spectacles and they're on one of those like metal ball chains <laughs> and just very carefully like typing out with just his index fingers like a pensioner. <laughs> House in he's Spain. Still, he, he's still got the clicking noise on. Oh man, I uh, in terms of this, uh, the bonus part generally being where we put spicier things, my least empathetic uh, feelings recently have been, and it'll, I think it'll, I don't know if it'll be done by now, but basically there's just the news that the NHS, if you're not vaccinated, they're just going to fire you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was, you know, I've still been thinking about this, but um, again, I read well, this is I mentioned in another episode Helen Lewis's piece about being compliant but done the the the, the pandemic. Yeah, it's like in terms of firing NHS employees who won't get vaccinated. Her position is if if you don't believe in science, you have no place working in medicine, and yeah. I think that's my position now too. And I mean, like from a pragmatic point of view, I mean, you know, you and I both know people who work in the NHS, and they they're saying, well, you know, we don't. We, this is the last time, the worst time to lose, you know, fifteen percent of your staff or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is true. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, which is true, and I I sympathise, but I mean, it, so it's easy for me to say from the outside, get rid of those nutters. But mm. um, yeah, and and it's and it's not like they all have to. Like, if you have a reason, as far as I understand it, as in like you know a health reason, an actual health reason that you can't have it done, I I, I understand that that is fine. But if you are just refusing, then mm-hmm. off you pop. I'm afraid. Also, if you're working in a hospital and you're like, I don't believe in the vaccine, it's like what. What do, what do you think of the building that you work in every day? What do you think they do there? <laughs> <You> might, <laughs> you know, 
Imagine, imagine being like dressed in the uniform of someone who works in a hospital and standing outside smoking, looking at the building, shaking your head, going, "I don't know what's going on in here." But <laughs> yeah, these the fucking monsters! <laughs> what the hell are they doing in there? <laughs> it is weird, isn't it? Because you sort of think like, if you were so uncertain, you it, it must be a terrifying place to work. Where you go, well, I guess I work in the mistake factory. <laughs> you know, they basically euthanize pe- people all day, every day. <laughs> I mean, I can under understand the guise why, of helping them. Yeah, well, I can understand why. Like, if you work in healthcare, proximity to that will mean that you you do see, like, uh, I don't know, a, a not necessarily perfect bit of medication pushed by drug companies it makes you a bit cynical. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, and you go, oh, it's not always actually the best medicine that you get, or I've seen the mistakes. Uh, uh, clinical trials are only so secure. Yeah, yeah, that, that's all true. But then once it gets to the point where the largest number of people in history have have taken something and it's safer than getting COVID, and also your job is to make sure that people dying or, or could die under your care if they get COVID don't get COVID, all of those things must coalesce in the decision to take it. Also, you're working in the building where you are seeing a fraction of the number of people. Yeah turn up than they used to because of the vaccine and you're still yeah. going i'm not i don't know if it works and you think well if i get covid there is a slim chance i'll catch it before i go into work but if i don't then you know i guess i'll just cough all over those people dying of cancer and they'll just die yeah because i yeah. care for people in my job That's yeah so I yeah I'm, I'm i'm done with that too yeah i i'm I, done with that i'm just the bit I just feel bad up. about is just grow is, up. Do yeah. it. The bit I feel bad about is the logistical part. The logistical part of losing those employees. Of losing yeah, yeah, those yeah. That's the bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes yeah, me feel bad. Gives me pause. Whereas the idea that like it gives you pause. Pierre, oh my god, <laughs> your hands, your lovely hands. <laughs> oh god, someone. What yelled. has the vaccine done to you? <laughs> someone yelled at my hands, and now they're dog hands. <laughs> He's given Pierre paws, everybody. He's given Pierre a pair of paws. <laughs> I've got paws, and this is I. I see the fingerprints of Clinton on these paws. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if you have a human right to ignore vaccine science if your job is to touch old people. Yeah, yeah, and like yeah. premature babies totally. and stuff. I just think that there's a point where you go. You, like, I mean, even at, like, a milder level, I wouldn't be amazingly happy if I found out that the person teaching my kid biology was, like, a raving creationist. Yeah, exactly. I'd sort of go, like, it's not that I don't think they can teach it. I'm just worried about what they mumble. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They go, man evolved from apes. If you believe that bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Quietly slagging off the textbook as they run through it. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> Mus- m- a muscular pro-science stance i suppose yeah yeah i th- yeah i think that is the position and and i mean if again it's easy for us to say because you know we're not currently in hospital with complications with the need for attention mm. but in the long run if this means that we end up with a workforce that is more appropriately given to scientific evidence 
yeah. working in the medical field, then I think that is in the long run a positive thing. The other thing is, incent- people forget, but incentives fucking work, man. And yeah. if 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 they have to get vaccinated and or, or else they'll lose their job, they're probably going to get vaccinated. It, we're not going to lose... Every- everyone who says no now is it, not someone we're definitely going to lose. We're probably going to lose a small fraction of them. Yeah. Given enough... Given enough reason people will do things i read something recently that rang so true it's like study after study has shown and and i know i'm kind of saying like they did a study but um or like it, it, it is borne out that people are people value um convenience over ideology almost yeah. all the time yeah that's true and so and that's how dictatorships you know, work yeah yeah, so I think I th- I think most I think it'll work. I think most people will get vaccinated. I think so, and I mean, at a certain point, as much as it might be immoral to deprive a, a, a desperate hospital of staff to an extent, is it not also immoral? Like the, vac- the like the arguments they have against it fall apart when you when you agree the vaccine is safe, because then they go, yeah, but I'm willing to quit my job helping, as opposed instead mm. of doing a safe thing. That's how much I care. That's how nice I am. I am. I know how needed I am to save people's lives, but I'd rather let them die than do a safe thing. The vaccine only that that argument yes. only holds water if you decide that the vaccine isn't safe, and it is statistically. It is. It is safe. It's yeah. It's been used for months now uh, on hundreds of millions of people. So and you get all these people saying safe. like, "Oh, but some of the side effects are your brain turns into wood and you fucking die." And it's like, have you ever been brave enough to read the side effects on a packet of paracetamol? Because it is terrifying. (laughs) Genuinely. The little leaflets you get inside bog standard over-the-counter medicine are like, side effects, open brackets, very rare, e.g. one in like 100,000. And you're like, that doesn't feel rare. And those side effects are like, death, new eyes, like just insane. (laughs) And it literally makes your blood thin. (laughs) <laughs> the thing you take for a headache makes your blood thin. <laughs> and you're fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's paracetamol. It's, it's extract of, a, of willow. No, it's as, aspirin is extracted from willow bark. So you don't get all hippie about it either because it's from a fucking tree. Mm, mm, mm. It's not from an alien's yeah. bum hole or whatever, it, whatever you think other medicine comes from. Yeah. I suppose there is just a point where you have to draw a red line and say, guys, you really need to believe in medicine to work in a hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ideally. And at the time where you could reasonably say it hasn't been tested enough has passed now. Yeah. It's it's over. Even Uh, the FDA thinks it's fine. And they are very, very tough to convince of things, especially foreign medicines. Foreign... Farin. Farin. Um, in similar news, very surprising that you can, like Piers Corbyn, you can just go around telling people to firebomb their members of parliament's offices and just not go to prison for that. He was arrested, but has he been released now? Is it all fine? Well, he's not in prison. I suppose they arrested him and released him pending deciding whether the Met finally investigate crimes in the past. <laughs> yeah. Which we all know uh, yeah. they hate to do. I think he couched it in enough ambiguity that he could probably you know he could he could argue he wasn't making a serious 
yeah call for burning people's houses and he's you know he's like people are laughing he's kind of going and maybe you should burn these people burn their offices yeah it's, it um, wasn't like burn their offices now do it you must i think he really benefited from exhausted policeman syndrome if there's something the corbin brothers are very good at it's 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 saying something really awful but very in a sort of detached manner in as su- in like in as subtle and deniable a fashion as possible the yeah. corbin seem very good at that yeah sort of um, shrugging and going maybe i don't know <laughs> yeah could be <laughs> it's of say yeah they're very good at saying i'm not saying it isn't but yeah. I'm not saying it is. It's an interesting... Well, it's populism, isn't it? It's an interesting cousin of Donald Trump's whole way of going like, oh, a lot of people say it might be the best. Mm. <laughs> well, maybe it is. Well, uh, who's, I don't know. I don't know. He's doing lots of little naughty little shrugs. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, um, I, I can only imagine that the, the policeman who drove him to the police station, by the time he arrived at the police station, the policeman must have just been like, I'm not letting this guy stay here I'm not arresting him I'm, yeah. I, I'm not listening to this anymore <laughs> um, so uh, any spicy views from your end Phil anything too controversial here in the cave without rules well, there's, there's always something spicy coming out of my end <laughs> um, uh, oh, anything spicy of late by the time we're talking mm. the prime minister could be gone imagine that he won't be but he could be he won't be he won't be he can, he's, he's a cockroach old boris johnson he can yeah. survive a nuclear holocaust a pr nuclear holocaust i don't know the, the thing but this this party's thing is unique in its perseverance it just keeps yeah. going because it's always there's always a, a party to uncover. There's always <laughs> another party to come out. It's parties all the way down. <laughs> yeah. It's parties all the way down. Yeah, and yeah. But what, what, what's important is if, the, if public opinion continues to be um, against him. Yeah. That's what the conservatives really care about. If they think he's going to become an electoral liability, then he's gone, right? Yeah. His main power is that he has this unique appeal to parts of the country the conservatives have never been able to appeal to before. But if this gets bad enough that he loses that, then they've got really no reason to keep him around. Yeah, I, I saw a good uh, a good tweet, which was along the lines of saying, like, Brit- British people don't care, the public, British public, they don't care if you... If you lie and cheat on your wife and have secret kids and embezzle and on and on and on and say racist things, they don't care. They do care, however, if everyone was supposed to be miserable and you were having fun. (laughs) They really care about that. It's like a hosepipe ban. People calling their police about their neighbors breaking the hosepipe ban. Always happening. Interesting. Curtain twitching, Phil. (laughs) That's what's going to save this country. (laughs) <laughs> our long and proud tradition of being nosy killjoys <laughs> I, I think I saw um, nosy killjoy play a, a tenor saxophone solo <laughs> switched from the alto very lucky to have seen that live
Honesty. Honesty matters. In fact, it mattered so much to Lucky Kentucky founder Jibbity A. Jimison that he was once asked early on in his life what made a good Kentucky whiskey. Was it rye? Was it clear spring water? Was it a kilo upon kilo of octopus eggs? And you know what Jibbethy said? He said, no, it's honesty. Although, to be honest, the octopus eggs come in at a close second. We here at Lucky Kentucky value honesty above all. And so we think it is right that we are honest with you. We are aware that recently a spokesperson of ours has been known to have said that Lucky Kentucky Whiskey is an appropriate substitute for the COVID vaccine. Lucky Kentucky Drinks Limited would like to honestly distance ourselves from these remarks and say only that the evidence for health benefits of octopus egg-rich whiskey have yet to be concretely found, although we do assert that octopus eggs are probably better for you than they are bad. That all said, they probably do not do anything to prevent the contraction or development of COVID-19 in the human body. This is Lucky Kentucky being honest and being honest that that spokesperson has been fired in the most brutal way. A a small town Kentucky uh, whiskey distillery can do, uh, which is surprisingly brutal and involves a big hot tub of delicious Kentucky molasses. But this is Lucky Kentucky signing off and saying we will always be honest with you. Lucky Kentucky, drink honestly. Um, here's here's a spicy opinion. <laughs> I don't know if it really is a spicy opinion. Okay. I think it might be spicy for just how um, how um, capitalistic it is. Uh, <laughs> That's that means British, it's spicy online and acceptable in the city of London. The major British supermarkets are fantastic. Ooh, <laughs> I was not expecting that. British supermarkets are fantastic. The the variety of thing you can get there. If people want it enough, they'll start stocking it. Yeah, that's true. My little Tesco's, my Tesco Express, this little shitty one next mm. to my train station, has Milo in it. Milo. Milo. The drink that I had in Malaysia that you can't get in restaurants, you can't get anywhere. I think it might you be can in, get it. in my one as well. And I, and I drank it in you South can, Africa. You can get it in my little fucking Tesco. Also, because I live in the Peckham area... You can get Scott, uh, Scotch bonnet uh, pepper sauce. Yeah. You can get tins of coconut milk. You can get harissas, <laughs> different types yes, of please. harissas and soy. It, British supermarkets are, are amazing. And um, I don't... And uh, my... Uh, meanwhile, 
Uh, I think small local places, if they're not good enough, they should go out of business. That's my spicy <laughs> opinion. Okay, so you think as long as the great British supermarkets retain this level of amazing reactivity, they should be allowed that's to right, dominate right, and right. proliferate. This vegan mayonnaise in my tiny Tesco Express. Vegan mayonnaise. And not that I'm saying I'm a fan of vegan mayonnaise, but they are so keen to... They, if enough people want it, uh, they'll sell it. It's like they'll Mount Everest. It. It's like Mount Everest. Why did you stock the vegan mayonnaise? Because it was there. <laughs> yeah. yeah so worse. that's my spice opinion. That's is that, good. Um, capitalism is great. <laughs> you could do worse um, for doing like a kind of social history of of parts of London by just like photographing, like in one place you have. Middle Eastern stuff, Afro-Caribbean stuff, vegan mayonnaise, like the young, you know, vegan trend thing happening. Like, you'd get a nice snapshot of everything. It's very London as well. This is a very London Tesco Express. That's true, yes. I should check myself. I should check. But even, you know, you go to London and the big supermarkets still there's a lot of variety. Often, often, the supermarkets in somewhere um, outside London, somewhere you might consider more racially homogenous yeah there'll be more variety of food in the supermarket than there will be variety in the restaurants in the town that's absolutely true uh, yeah that's true you go to a, a tiny a regional towns supermarket and you'll be able to get everything you need for authentic asian food but you won't really be able to buy it yeah you have to make it yourself but the big old sainsbury's will have what you need they'll that have some black ma- garlic paste don't you worry it's also because, you know, I grew up in, and this is off of my, 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 my mother's sort of experience in, in Kota Kinabalu in Malaysia, doing yeah. shopping for groceries and stuff. You have to hit up so many. Yeah, you get to go to the little farmer's uh, markets. You get to go to the little specialist shops. But you have to spend a whole afternoon doing your shop because you're driving around town to the one shop that sells a thing. And then when we came here, it was like, you just go to the one place and it's got everything. You can do one big shop. That's true. The concept of the one big shop is is a cornerstone of modern capitalist shopping. It is. It is. It's what makes me proud to be British, the big shop. <laughs> I remember reading about how like East Germans when the wall fell and they had to they started, you know, either going to West German supermarkets or their supermarkets changed. Just standing and and sort of looking at maybe the, maybe I'm misremembering a Gorbachev or a Khrushchev quote. There's something about mustard. I'll look it up now. But basically just saying mm. like why are there five kinds of mustard? Like, just sell me the best mustard. You get this kind of choice fatigue. Oh, yeah. Well, they, they were just like, just sell me the mustard. They, they, they were like, when they sort of paralyzed by the choice of different types of mustard. Yeah. Khrush- I'm Googling yeah. East German Khrushchev mustard. <laughs> Could that possibly work? Could it possibly work? Maybe it was Gorbachev. I encourage anyone listening to read read up on what it was like to stop to to go from being um Eastern Europe East East Germany to to United Germany. This crazy. It's so Sorry, interesting. Sorry, what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, like just any books, any any articles, anything like that. Just because it's like a western country now, but you're going uh. straight from being like queuing for bread and being beaten to death for listening to the Beatles and then suddenly you just live in Germany 
But do keep in mind, Pierre, that true communism hasn't been tried yet. Okay, it's true. So just keep that in mind. It's true. Before Someday. you start running your running your mouth about bread lines, okay? <laughs> Phil, I for one can't believe that they still haven't tried it for real. <laughs> After all the times they tried it, I still can't believe they haven't tried it, Pierre. I, I can't. Be- I can't believe that every single time they said they were going to try it, but it was a big prank, and they go in, "Tee hee, gotcha." Not really, though. Okay, next time. And then they go away for a bit. And you go, oh, those pesky, those sneaky communists. They, every time I get, I fall for it. And then it turns out it was a big, fun, practical joke that involved confiscating grain. <laughs> the worst thing about communists is just how much of a big tease they are. <laughs> I'm getting... I don't even mind the collectivism. It's just like the teasing. I'm, I'm, I'm getting owning the means of production blue balls over here. <laughs> Every time I think we're going to have a centralized market, it, th- gotcha! I've been punked. <laughs> Who are you, Comrade Ashton Kutcher? <laughs> comrade Comrade Kutcher sounds like sounds like a real member of the of the upper echelons of the Soviet party. To be honest, comrade he does. Kutcher. Yeah, he sounds like a, a particularly brutal East German. <laughs> comrade. Comrade, fi- Kutch- Comrade Kutcher, he'll put you. He'll put. He'll put, put you in a gulag. Uh, have you found the mustard thing? I can't find it. I, I think maybe it was in. I recommend reading Stasi Land. If you haven't, listeners, that's a really good one about what East Germany was like and how many people were involved with the Stasi. Remember they were talking about how like the Stasi, you know, being like, you know how like the, it's like the KGB, right? They have, they have access to all the privileges. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like uh, the, the last Stasi, uh, like big like anniversary dinner, like our, our 50th anniversary, like right before the wall falls. And mm. this guy's talking about how that like, like it was such a fancy dinner. They had grapes. Oh, wow. And you're just like, really? this is in Germany, Germany, a country that produces wine now. And has grapes down the road. Oh my god. Grapes. Uh, oh my god, grapes. Uh, what? Do, what's the occasion? <laughs> grapes? <laughs> it's been 50 years since we started killing people for listening to music. Oh, good. Well, grapes it is. <laughs> you guys seem fun. Darling, break out the grapes. No, no, no. This doesn't happen often. No, no, you're having a grape. No, you're having a grape. <laughs> Sweetheart, come on. Bring the grapes before... Come on. Have, have a grape or I'll inform on you. <laughs> there you go. See, that's all you needed to hear, to eat a grape. <laughs> have a grape or I'll say that you drew an unflattering cartoon of Stalin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to find this Potemkin supermarket thing. Maybe I'm getting confused. Kubitschek visit. Maybe this is a oh, Potemkin memory beer. It's a, pot- <laughs> it's a Potemkin memory. <laughs> what am I remembering? Oh, maybe it's Yeltsin going to a. Texas grocery store. 
Yelton over here, Yelton over there, Yelton all about the place. <laughs> right, okay. So Boris You Yeltsin come Yelton on in here telling me what to do. You come <laughs> Yelton in here asking for my grain. <laughs> okay, so September the 16th, 1989. Uh, scheduled visit to the Space Center, Yelton's visiting America. Yeltsin and his entourage make an unscheduled stop at, at, at a Randall's grocery store in Clear Lake, suburb of Houston. Ah. Clear Lake, Texas. Um, apparently, he roamed the aisles of Randall's, nodding his head in amazement. He would talk to customers, how much does this cost? Do you need uh, special education to manage the supermarket or all American stores like this? Da, 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 da. Yeltsin was a member of the Politburo and the up, Russia's upper political crust, yet he'd never seen anything like the offerings of this little grocery store. Even the Politburo doesn't have this choice. Not even Gorbachev. Wow. Ah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. He wrote in his autobiography later, When I saw those shelves crammed with hundreds, thousands of cans, cartons, and goods of every possible sort, for the first time I felt, quite frankly, sick with despair for the Soviet people. That such a potentially super-rich country as ours has been brought to such a state of poverty, it is terrible to think of it. Gosh, yeah. Wow. Is that Yeltsin? That's Yeltsin. And he thought, I know what will solve this. Dark. I know what will solve this. Hundreds of oligarchs. (laughs) So he was was the one who was like, we're going... He oversaw sort of the... uh, Breaking up the utilities companies and giving everyone a share, right? Well, and then the not, oligarchs came around and bought everyone's shares, basically. Isn't that what happened? Yeah. Not everyone necessarily got the chance for a share, but he basically, under the guidance of some incredibly misguidedly libertarian Americans, broke everything up and sold it. Mm. A bunch of the mm. Americans coming in to quote-unquote help basically saw an opportunity to finally make a country that would definitely work how they always wished America would work, and it fell to bits because they were too extreme the other way. Yes. So they just went like, uh, well, this is a great opportunity to prove that completely pure libertarianism doesn't result in a kind of violent mafia state. And yet... <laughs> and you'll never guess what happened. You'll, you'll never guess what happened when everything was for sale, including the police and the military. <laughs> well, could you actually buy the police? I mean, I, I know you can figuratively buy the police. No, I just mean tacitly. <laughs> I think you could buy oh, a lot yeah, of like like well if if the Nicolas Cage movie Lord of War taught me anything, Phil. Ah, uh, I love that movie. That's another one of those boys boarding house movies. Yes, huge in the in the in school. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Lord, I only watched that very recently. Lord of War. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's Cage at his cagey best. He's good. He's kind of Eastern European, not really, and it's. Um, about as deep they, into the idea of international arms trafficking as teenage boys are willing to sink. Oh yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, and there's just and there's lots of guns in it. There's also an amazing shot of of a time lapse of uh, a plane being stripped bare. Yes, it, is it? Is somewhere in Africa? It, like, it is. It, yeah. Lands? And it just get and and some and some locals get wind of it and they come and just strip it for parts. But it's one long time lapse shot of it being stripped, stripped to its bones by hand. It's incredible. Yeah, and just being sort of harvested. Yeah, yeah. It's an amazing shot. 
It's like I, an art house shot. You don't expect it to be a shot in a Nicolas Cage movie. Well, I'll say this for Nicolas Cage. He will surprise you. <laughs> he will. Did you ever watch Bad Lieutenant? I, I did. And you know what, Phil? I was surprised. <laughs> I was surprised the whole way through. It's good. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. I enjoyed, I enjoyed fucking many... fucking mad. I enjoyed many bits of it. But yeah, really, he is absolutely... Yeah, Nicolas Cage will always surprise you. And you can say that sentence with a negative or positive inflection. <laughs> He's also good in Kick-Ass. Yeah, really good in Kick-Ass. Um, which madly just... Um, Came out just at exactly the same time. You know that thing where, where movie studios just do the same movie at the same time? There was Kick-Ass and there was Super, the much darker one with Rain Wilson, Dwight from The Office. Oh, I never heard of that. It's a, it was much more like indie and like, it's really fucking violent. Ooh, lovely. Yeah, it's it's much more like what it would be like to, to be your own superhero in a, in a kind of... Um, Alan Moore way rather than Kick-Ass, which was like, you know, uh, uh, gritty, but not that gritty. Still a bit fun. Yeah, gotcha. They came out the same year. Fuck me. Ugh. Too much Un- of a good thing. Unlucky. Um, Unlucky. Well, and, that's the end of um, bonus time. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoy watching the movie Kick-Ass and Lord of War and sitting down to bed to read about the Stasi. Have a fun, <laughs> have a fun uh, time with that. <laughs> yes, yeah, a very a bud pod cache of recommendations there. Yeah, very symbolic of us, I'd say. Yeah. Um, but have a grand old time. Thanks again for being Patreons. Thank you, guys. Uh, have a, a lovely week. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.